1 Corinthians chapter 1 in the New Testament. When you get to 1 Corinthians 1 in the New Testament, I'd like for you to go all the way to the second book in the Old Testament. It's called the book of Exodus. As you're turning, I want to be sure that you hear something from my heart. I, I want you to take this, I want you to take every message on Sundays personally because I believe God deals with us individually and personally, don't you? And, but I want you to listen personally this morning and right up front, I'm going to tell you that our world today and even the church world today may think that what I'm going to speak about is very, very simplistic. And those of us who have been in the Word of God for a long time might say, Pastor, why would you be so simple with that? Here's why. I'm preaching to more than just this congregation. There's a congregation on Facebook. And I also want to preach to those of you who are required to be witnesses in this society. This, this message may seem so simple and, and, and so rudimentary to you that you go, Pastor, Why? The reason is this, our world simply spiritually today, ladies and gentlemen, young people, they don't get it. They just don't get it. Human wisdom and human reasoning just doesn't understand the things of God. When you're born again, let me tell you, the Spirit becomes your teacher. How many of you are glad for the Word of God and what the Spirit's taught you since you've been born again? I teasingly sometimes here say the people of God understand things that the people that are not born again don't understand. I had a person come to me years ago and say, well, pastor, I've seen some Christians that weren't too intelligent. And my response to that was just think about what they were before they got saved. <laughs> okay, you left your sense of humor at home. That's all right. I just just want you to understand just... Th- This is simple, but I wanted to know today, it is a profound answer to life, and I want us to hear it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to be looking at verse 23. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, these were people who had compromised even their early Christian standards. They had to learn about the ways of God. He says this to them. Paul said to the Corinthian church, But we preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Will you say that with me? Christ crucified. Do not let the power of that run just in a a passing thought. We preach Christ crucified. But listen, he says, to the Jew, a stumbling block. I wish I had time to go through the history of what the Jews believed. To Christ, to the Jews, a stumbling block. They did not recognize him as Messiah. And to the Greeks, foolishness. And here's, young people, mom and dad, here's the problem. Philosophically and intellectually, the Greek people were very intelligent. But they didn't get it. They didn't understand the things of the spirit world. And let me tell you, the spirit world will not always add up in the natural world. There is a place and a time for absolute faith that will change our lives. You can't figure God out all the time in a test tube and a slide rule. 
God is far beyond any reasoning that we can come up with. Can you say amen? But verse 24, but to those who were called, we who have accepted Christ, we who know a twice-born experience, to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, listen, the power of God. Christ, the power of God. Christ, the power of God. And the wisdom of God. Of God. He is the power of God to take us from a destiny and a destination of lostness to a lake of fire for eternity, the power of God and salvation. And yet, He is the wisdom of God to teach us and lead us. And let me just explain that very quickly. This book and this Christ and this crucifixion is the answer to every problem in life. And those who us are twice born know it. Those who are not twice born have no idea. They run to every other thing that they can imagine to try to find the answers of life. I want to be simplistic about it. Father, anoint us to hear and to speak. For your glory I pray. Amen. I do not love, like being pessimistic. And nor do I want to be. But I will tell you this. And it perhaps may come as a surprise to some of you. Nevertheless, it's true. You and I live on a sin-cursed planet. I want you to know that the enemy of your soul is doing everything he can, dedicated and persistently so, to try to take every chapter in your life and destroy anything God wants to do in your life. He is a dedicated, persistent enemy. So... Pastor, you, you say that. I want to declare to you, that's not fatalism, it's a fact. How many of you know that there's enough trouble in your life even if you're twice born? We know that. It isn't, a, it isn't, it isn't about fatalism. Because there are and there will be problems. Many are taught that everything negative, in religious circles especially, we're, a lot of people are taught that everything of demonic origin. And yes, I know Satan, and I know the fallen angels, the disembodied spirits called demons, had some experience with all those things. But while yet some extreme cases are demonic, and of course it's all satanic inspired, and truly there are demon-possessed people and all that, let me just say this. Much of what happens to people doesn't happen because of demonic possession, or even oppressions. Much of the problem is from the human spirit because of the sin curse upon this planet. Ladies and gentlemen, storms, death, all kinds of things happen. God did not design them. He did not desire them. But when Adam sold us out, Satan took an opportunity, and he is the prince and the power of the air. Be careful what you blame on God, the benevolent Father, for God, as we sing about, is a good God. But this sin-cursed planet, until the Lord returns, is our experience. So if, it's not if troubles come, it's when troubles come. That's really not the question. Here's the question. In every Thing that happens in your life. 
everything Satan tries to do to come and to destroy you as a spirit being. The question is, will that become a stumbling block or will it be a stepping stone? And every one of us, when problems come, have to make that choice. And let me tell you, you decide literally whether you will be defeated or whether you will be victorious. That is a decision that we make. I read in history where an old violin master told his students, he said these words, Before you are finished, this world will do one of three things to you. It will make your heart very calloused or hard. It will make your heart very soft or it will break your heart. I want you to know that I've lived long enough that I've experienced all three of those things. I know what it is to sometimes feel calloused of heart. I know what it is to have a broken heart. I know what it is to feel benevolent and have a soft heart. But all these experiences are common to all of us. Well, let me just make this clear. How many of you here are the exception and you have never had a problem? That proves it, right? Because Satan is such a persistent rascal. So watch this. Let me show you some of the things common. A man and a woman lose a child. This is where life really takes on a place to choose. I hate this sin-cursed planet from this perspective. I, I I have a problem inside my heart that says no parent should ever attend the funeral of their child. Don't you think the parent should go first? I've been there with many parents, but I want you to notice these are the real things of life. One mother, in her grief, decided she would blame God. And she finally did that to such an extent she lost much of her mental faculties and was placed in an asylum. Later on, released to her husband, this decision of blaming God went to the point that she actually murdered her husband and then murdered herself. Ladies and gentlemen, a bad decision. Another couple loses a child. And the mother decides, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to find Every parent in my city that loses a child and for the rest of my life, I'm going to go meet them. I'm going to comfort them. I'm going to tell them about the goodness of God. Strange, isn't it? Same situation. To one, it's a major stumbling block. To the other, it's a major stepping stone. I've seen it happen to churches. I've seen problems come to churches People get disgruntled, they begin to divide and argue, or God forbid, a pastor falls in immorality, how it affects the kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christian has more responsibility about how we handle things for the witness of this world than the lost do. Listen, we better be disciplined and mature Christians because if you and I decide to be critical and we decide we're going to be part of the problem, we're throwing our future in the, up in the air like a piece of precious china. That's why we're disciplined by the Word of God. How you respond, how you respond, and the way you respond 
determines your entire destiny. I've seen it happen. Some get out of the church. They decide they lose all confidence. They're no longer going to go to church and they get bitter in church. Let me just tell you something, folks. Let's just be very plain as I can tell you. Anything you put between you and God is going to destroy you. And I know people who are full of bitterness won't speak to one people in the crowd on the other side. That should not be in the house of God. If that's here, God help us get together, go to one another, be reconciled. And if you do that and you're rejected, Christ hadn't rejected you, they have. But you've done your part. Why don't we just be real Christians and go talk to the people with the problem rather than talk about them? Say amen. We, we, we call ourselves Christians and yet Satan is dividing churches all over this land. Let's decide that we're going to give one another the benefit of the doubt. Let's decide we're going to be Christian. And you know, it's kind of like my wife. She hasn't always done everything that I would like for her to do in 50 years. Can you imagine that? Don't, don't you think things would be better if she'd just do what I said? How many of you know that I married a pushover? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Listen, every time you have a disagreement is no reason to throw relationships away. Amen. God is the answer for every somebody contemplating a divorce. Say amen. God's the answer. This system of law is not the answer. Amen. Because God is always about healing. The world is always about dividing and destroying. It's true. Well, I got one amen. Listen. That happens, but watch this. In a church problem, even when the pastor fails, on and on, some decide... I know this institution is imperfect. I know the man of God was imperfect. I understand all that. But the church is the only institution that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Some stay with it. They help weather the storm in leadership. They bring the church back. But to some it's a stumbling block. To others, (coughs) it's a stepping stone. Watch this. (coughs) I didn't mean watch that. Watch what I'm going to say. (laughs) Two thieves hang on each side of the Savior. I want you to look at the decisions they made. I want you to see this. They're this far from entering eternity. One said, if, listen to the cynicism. (laughs) Listen to the spirit inside this man. Listen to the venom. Listen to the pain. Listen to how Satan has thwarted this mind. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. I want to tell you, those that are lost and not born twice are filled with just their own self-interests. Should not be in the Christian realm. Can I tell you this book says that we're supposed to prefer each other? 
<laughs> How many of you know some selfish Christians? Well, I was going to be nice, and now I'm meddling, right? One said, if you're the Christ, they have seen miracle after miracle. Look through the three and a half years of the life of the Christ and see what he did. He fed 5,000 with five tuna fish sandwiches, plus women and children. Some say 15,000 people. Twice he did it, and he did miracles. He said to the storm and the water, Peace, be still. He did things that no other man's ever done. And here's this guy, filled with cynicism, filled with the concepts of the world. And he says, if you're the Christ. The other said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Same event, same place. One a stumbling block, the other a stepping stone. They made a decision. Two ladies become widowed. One says, I'll never go to church again. God took my husband. If that's the kind of God he is, I don't want to be around church. The other says, thank God for my church. They supported me. Thank God for a godly husband. I don't know how people make it without a church family. To one it was a stumbling block. The other a stepping stone. Financial problems come. By the way, which is the number one reason for most marriages. Guard your finances. Guard your finances. It'll make a division. And while I'm here counseling with you in marriage... Finance is the number one problem, which leads usually to the marriage bed, to be honest with you, because we start disagreeing and we, we start getting to the point that we do not communicate. And thirdly, that usually leads to problems in the family, relatives. And Satan uses finance, and then he uses the marriage bed and the argument, and then he uses families. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say again, God's the answer to divorce. Amen? It's God. Financial situations come. One panics, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it? The other says this, My God shall supply all my need. All things work together for people. Those who love the Lord called according to His purpose. What's the difference? What, what is the difference? I'm going to tell you that difference. I'm leading you up to this simple, simple Absolute answer. What causes the difference in all these decisions? It's wrapped up in a little story in the New Testament. Teenagers, young people, I beg you to learn this today. Our world doesn't get it. I want you to get it before you leave. It's a story in Exodus. We read it. Israel has crossed the Red Sea. They have been in slavery for 400 years. God has sent Moses to set them free. They have been covered in a cloud by day to protect them from Pharaoh and his armies. They were protected and led by a fire by night. And God has now departed the sea and led them over on dry land. They are singing victory. They are shouting. Understand this is two, two and a half million people. This isn't a crowd of two or three hundred people. Israel came 
in a place after crossing the Red Sea to a place called Shur. And they sang and they rejoiced like we did this morning. And their song, if you read it, I won't take time to turn to it. We are free. Our God has loved us. Our God has helped us. Our Lord parted the sea. We passed over on dry ground. You can read it all in the scripture. We are safe. We are back in God's country. And they sang and they sang and they sang. And they thought they would sing forever. Let me tell you something, young people. I could turn to Philippians and show you the scripture, but I want to tell you, some people have problems in life because they cannot control and discipline with mature emotions. And maybe know I'm, this is true. Let me, Paul says, let your moderation be known. This emotions are a big, big part of our life. Don't let your emotions get so high all the time that you live in an unreal world. Because those same emotions that get you to some kind of euphoria, when they fall, can also get you to your diaper in the mud. You just have to know the Greek like I do, but that's there. <laughs> I'm teasing you. The same people that get so emotional high can get so emotionally low. And God says, mature, let your moderation be known to all men because the Lord is at hand. You know what we love about Christ? You know why we love Him? Because God said He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what that means? That means you can count on Him. He's consistent. God never intended for us to be at the whim or the slave of our emotions. God intended us to take the Word of God and not get out of hand. God expects us to mature. And that's for the oldest one in this room and the youngest one in this room. I would ask if somebody still loved me, but I'm going to quit. It's true. It's true. It's true. Here they are. They thought they'd sing forever. But in just a few days... Something happened. They went three days without water. Three days without water can make you cranky. Can't it? It make you frustrated? Yes? Anybody here ever been three days without water? Listen, I know that because I watch these old cowboy movies. And they run, they're so thirsty, they throw their body on the ground, stick their head in the water. <laughs> three days, it must be right. Listen, go three days and see if it's not probably pretty good. So, I, so if you allow me to use the scenario, they find water. And they arrived at a place called Mara, or Mara. And they saw the water. Oh, it's wonderful. And they all, just allow me in Hollywood to picture. They all, here's two million people. They see this water. They just throw themselves on the ground, stick their head in the water. We're going to get a drink of water. Okay, they probably went up. And they probably sit down and say, Dear Lord, we are so thankful that you have provided. And God, you've never... Well, which way do you want it? I like my way. <laughs> but they drink it. And it was bitter. And they spewed it from their mouths. What kind of world is this when you think that something is finally going right and you jump in there and all of a sudden everything turns wrong? 
I've been recovering from some surgeries and I've been on medication and I just learned that how medication can affect your thinking. I got up this morning, here's one of those personal insights that you just had to forgive me for. I got up this morning and I had a pair of OU uh, sweatpants on, or is that what you call them, sweatpants? And uh, I had them on. Didn't think anything about it. I went and got a shower. You know, and put them back on, and I shaved this gorgeous face of mine. And I got all ready, and uh, I went, I said, I was going, I put my socks on, and I reached up and got my pants, and, and I put both feet in, and I went to stand up. I forgot to take my jogger sweatpants off. How many of you know they're pretty bulky? And I went, uh, what? And I, I was frustrated. My wife was standing trying to pick me out a shirt right in front of me. I didn't have room to put my, my shoes on and my pants. I said, would you move out the way? In the name of Jesus. I was frustrated. And I said, is there anything else that could go wrong this morning? Have anybody ever crossed that intersection? Life's just deal, deals with that, doesn't it? I know. Y'all are way more sanctimonious than the pastor. Here they are, everything went wrong. And they complained to the leadership. And Moses, two and a half million people, they're starving. They had to spew the water out, feel that responsibility. He went to God and he said, God, what am I going to do? Watch this, don't miss this. God said, I want you to find a tree, cut it down, cast it into that water. Now understand this. This is two and a half million people. This isn't a little pool. This has got to be for a lot of people. You cast, cut that tree down, cast it in that water. And Moses did that. Now I will tell you this, that I've read in history and read something about horticulture and those sort of things. There are some wood that you can cut that will make water sweet. But none of that existed in that part of the land. Geographically, it's not within thousands of miles. But this much I will tell you, the God who made all trees can do all things. Don't say that God doesn't have an answer. Moses said, okay, God, can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, if I passed out water here next Sunday and asked you to drink it and it was bitter and you spit it out, and I had a big tub of water up here that was poison or something, and I said, I tell you what we're going to do, I'm going to cut a tree down and put it in here and ask you to drink it. Would you think I would more than surgery? <laughs> Do you think they they <laughs> took something out between the ears somewhere? I mean, just you know, we read through this stuff and we go, Lord, I can it just imagine? They're just human beings like us. I can't imagine two and a half million people. What good is that going to do? It's a toothpick. I mean, just think about how they thought that that water turned sweet. He cut the tree, cast in the water, and Israel drank to their fill. And I got to hurry. I'm already running late. Every student of the Bible knows what that little story teaches. It's called, for, it's called foreshadowing. It's called typology or types of. And here's what that little story says. Here's what it is. It is the Christ who can make all of bitter life sweet. He will die on a tree, 
And that tree represents the cross and the crucifixion. And that's why Paul said to the Corinthians struggling, I preach Christ and Him crucified. He's the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that's the simple answer to everything still in 2019. That tree grew 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem and it was cut down and made into a cross and Jesus the Savior died on that cross and when that tree, ladies and gentlemen, young people, mom and dad, young or old, when that tree is cast into the bitterness of life and all the problems of life, then that bitter water becomes sweet and your life can start over and be sweet again. And that may seem so elementary and simple, but it is so profound. I want you to hear me. I'm going to rehearse it a while because I've been here long enough to experience it. The difference in men's reactions, the difference in people's responses, the difference in bitterness and sweetness, the difference in whether you live or die, the difference in heaven or hell, the difference in worry or peace, the difference in love or hate, the difference in joy or remorse, the difference in forgiveness or resentment is in one thing. It's in an old rugged cross on which our Christ died to pay for our sin. As I look across this congregation and some in the first service, Last Sunday we were here 32 years. I've experienced birth of babies. I've experienced birth of their babies. I've, I've been to their births I've dedicated them. I've done their weddings. Share life with the congregation for 30 plus years. Here's what I've learned. Some people that I've known for 32 years have had a lot of bitterness. But today they know sweetness. And they know the faith. And they know whom they have believed. And they are convinced and persuaded beyond any doubt that God will keep what they commit to Him. Because 2,000 years ago, a tree was felled. And into every bitter water that has been thrown in their way and that cross has been thrown into, hear me, for 2,000 plus years, that bitterness has been made sweet. Because, ladies and gentlemen, He is the Son of God and He knows how to care for His people. The cross, ladies and gentlemen, is the answer to all the leadership problems of the United States of America. The cross is the answer for all world problems. So I'm going to bring it more personal. The cross is the answer for every mom struggling. The cross is the answer for every dad, every set of parents struggling. The cross is the answer for widows. The cross is the answer for orphans. The cross is the answer for the bereaved. The cross is the answer for the unemployed. The cross is the answer for every divorce. The cross is the answer for every lost soul. The cross is the answer for every tragedy this persistent enemy brings. And no one has ever placed that cross in the mainstream of their lives and regretted the sweetness and the joy and the peace and the assurance and the trust in God that comes from a tree cast into the bitterness of life. If you're here and you haven't had a personal encounter with this rugged tree, I will tell you plainly, and you may not understand it if you don't understand the things of the Lord, but I will tell you this. It is the only prescription for humanity for its sin sickness. 
take death, throw the cross in it, and it becomes the sweet joys of heaven. I told a story at the first service. I, I want to tell it again. I hadn't planned on it. When I was a little boy, my grandparents lived way out in the country, about 100 miles south of here. Their driveway was a half a mile right in the center of a section. They had an old, simple home. Had an old fence around it. My grandmother planted trees and flowers all over that yard. You know, they didn't have ZTRs back then. And my grandmother covered the whole yard in flowers. And as a kid, I'd go in the spring and the summer. You could smell those flowers. It was beautiful. Just in the backyard was an old smokehouse. How many of you know what a smokehouse is? I want you to know that as a kid, from the time I can remember four or five years old, it was gone. My granddad, every year, would smoke pork. And they would hang like toe sacks, cheesecloth stuff, on ham. They'd smoke those hams, and they would be hanging in there. And I felt led of the Lord to take a pocket knife and get me a bite of that ham ever so often. And it was like heaven. I wish today I knew how to do that. I, I, just, I loved it. It was just... It was so real to me. So many things I remember about that. They had an eight-acre garden. We raised everything they ever. Their cellar floor was covered in potatoes. The wall was covered in onions, and they knew what they were doing. But I loved that old place. One of the things I loved about it was this. When I was five years old, the family was called into that old home. My great-grandmother, her name was Granny Ward. She was up near 100 years old a faithful saint of the Lord. My dad was about 6'1", about a 240, 50-pound boy. I went in that room beside my dad, and they were all gathered around the bed of my granny ward. I kind of stuck my head into that circle, and I had this experience. My granny ward was going home to be with the Lord. What was so amazing was they were all there kind of praying, and she said all of a sudden, do you hear them? Do you hear them? They're singing. They're coming. They're coming for me. And this little weak, frail, 96, 7-year-old body raised up on that bed and raised her hands. And she said to the singing angels, she said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. She laid back down, drew a breath, and went home to be with the Lord. I was five years old. That was holy ground to me. I would go back to that place, and every time I'd walk in that bedroom, I'd think, this is where God came and got my granny. That old house was eventually abandoned. It was a cattle range, about 160, 180 acres. And eventually the old place fell, and it just in a hump, and cattle would walk over it. And today, I haven't seen it in years. But that's a special place to me. You know why? because my granny ward believed in the cross she believed in the savior and he came and got her and took her to eternity even in death ladies and gentlemen God knows how to bring sweetness to our life I have a picture of my dad in my wall in my study every Saturday there's a loneliness sometime in leadership but just me and the Lord trying to find what the Lord wants me to say on Sunday and I would just so many times like to say to my God-loving Father, Dad, 
I sure wish I could ask you what to preach today. Dad, I wish you were here so you could just talk to me. If you were just here, I wouldn't feel alone. But I want to tell you something. My dad is with the Lord. On his deathbed, he raised that big old club of a hand and took mine and he said, Son, I'm going to miss you, but I'm going to go see the Lord. I've been talking to the Lord. He's going to let me go home. And that's what he did. Don't tell me that that old tree cannot take care of the bitterness in your life. Take death and throw the cross in it. There will be a sweet security that God cares for his own. Take loneliness and cast that tree in it and you'll find out the sweetness of God saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Take poverty and cast the cross in it. You'll hear the word of God say, my God shall supply all my needs. Take, take your worst time in the world, the stoning of emotions, until you feel like nobody cares and Satan's taken everything out of you and you feel like there's death inside of you and know the sweetness of the old Saint Stephen when he looked up seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Here's one. Take the fiery furnace of your testimony when you've been misunderstood when you've been ridiculed and torn to pieces by everybody you counted on. You cast that cross into it And you'll have the sweetness of the presence of the fourth man that looks like the Son of Man and not even the smell of smoke will taint your body. How many of you know that's the kind of God we serve? It is. Listen, young people, mom, dad, joy is never real joy until joy is made by the cross. There's some fake things Satan will get you into as we travel. Nobody will ever deny there's not pleasure in a sin season. But I want to tell you the problem. After the pleasure, Satan always adds sorrow. The difference between God's blessings and Satan's blessings is this. God adds no sorrow to it. But every pleasure you ever experience in a satanic lead and in the wrong crowd and the wrong situation and wrong income with a heart and the motive that's wrong, Satan will always add sorrow to it. Can I stop and meddle again just a moment? You say, Pastor, you have anybody in mind? No, but I hope I can help. I've been in the ministry for 42 years, and one of the things I see out of families is when it comes time to divide what mom and dad or grandparents have, families always have one or two that gets in trouble, and it divides them. I've seen people do things you would not imagine to get what mom and dad and grandparents leave, and they do it in a wicked and an immoral way. I want to tell you something. Write this down. I don't care if that's $10 or $10 million. When that's over, Satan's going to add sorrow to it. You tell me what it's worth to have a value of a relationship with your family compared to $10 million. It's not worth anything. And maybe no, I just told us the truth. So I want to say this. To the old rugged cross, I intend to be true. It's shame and it's reproach I'm going to gladly bear. I don't care what a young generation or an old generation and all between think of this pastor. Because he'll one day he'll call me home to my home far away. 
for His glory I'm forever going to share. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. Here's what I'm telling you. You don't have to be bitter. Throw the cross in it. You don't have to be lonely. Throw the cross in it. You don't have to be defeated. Throw the cross in it. Every problem, every chapter in your life, the cross is the answer. The problem with our world today all over this globe is that we've left the cross. We've taken God's Word and God's prayer and put it out of the United States of America and listen. Today in schools, we have to hire guards. We are arming with firearms our teachers because we're killing each other. Can I tell you the difference in today and yesterday when I was a child? We had the Ten Commandments and the cross and we were afraid of the teacher with authority and a paddle. How many of you understand? Mom, Dad, don't protect your child too much. Let them take the bruises. I didn't get an amen there. Today some say some I just can't take it. Others say I'm pressing on the upward way. Young people, mom and dad, life is not constantly made up of crossing the Red Sea in triumph. It's not made up constantly of singing hallelujah, hallelujah, victory, victory. Life also has some tests. It has some bitter waters. Better take Calvary's tree and throw it into every chapter of your life because that's how God sustains you. How many of you believe that? Let me see your hand. It is true. It is true. So we determine, is it a stumbling block or is it a stepping stone?